0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Right, and there's no guarantee that whoever does turn out in the runoff is the same group of people that turned out the other day. I mean, there are going to be repeat people, a lot of repeat people, but there are going to be people that, that turned out and don't vote the second time around or people... That they need to focus on who did not turn out the first time and they hope will turn out the, the second time.
2: Hey, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. Exhausted. My guests this week are two of the most talented colleagues that I have and veteran colleagues. Tina Fondellis of the political reporter of The Sun-Times and political editor of The Sun-Times, I should say. And Dan Michalopoulos, who was a Tribune reporter, and then a wonderful Sun-Times reporter, political and investigative, and now does the same thing for our partners, WBEZ Radio. Thanks, guys, for joining us for this election wrap-up. Thanks, It's a friend.
1: pleasure to be with you, friend.
2: Or at least the round one, because we're on to round two. Are you both as exhausted as I am? Anybody? Uh, you got to pace
1: yourself.
0: Yeah, you got to take I I took one sleepy day, but I'm back.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. I don't know about you, but I saw this coming months ago. It was clear to me, at least, that Lori Lightfoot could not win this election and really shouldn't have run. Rahm Emanuel realized that when his that when his public approval rating was in the 40s after Laquan McDonald, life it was in the 20s she really would have been wiser i believe to walk away like Rahm Emanuel did why do you suppose she didn't dan let's start with you
1: yeah i think that um we have seen her personality in plain view over the past few years i'm not judging her or uh, i certainly don't feel uh, that i'm in a position to be as harsh on her as maybe some of the aldermen were who said that she fought with everybody um i didn't have uh the same sort of um conflicts with her always but uh, i will say this that um i think that she was rather stubborn uh i think ram as you said was more pragmatic he looked at it he said you know this is going to be really a, a fight uh in the 40s with the approval ratings there now you have approval rating that was what twenty two percent before mm-hmm. the election, uh, with uh, Lori Lightfoot. Anybody looks at that and says it's impossible. Like, let's say she had squeaked into the runoff, she would I mean, have gotten covered. Right?
2: Yeah. right?
1: Have you ever seen an alderman who got, you know, eighteen or twenty percent in a in a first round of, of an election go on to win a runoff? No. I mean, if you're only getting whatever she ended up with, uh, you know, in the teens, uh, that means that more than, they all know you, you know, by that time, you're the incumbent, you're the mayor. So you, you've got, the vast majority of the people are voting for someone other than you. That's and right. The
2: verdict here. was already in on her. Tina, what do you think? Do you think she would have been wiser to walk away? I think that it's exactly what Dan said, that she
0: has that confidence level. She has that ability to be stubborn. I do think her people... Knew that this was possible, and they tried to envision all these different scenarios in which she magically would make it into the runoff. But I think they all knew this was going to happen, and now they're dealing with reality. And I think you can see it on Lori Lightfoot's face. She was dealing with reality that night, and I'm not sure if she really allowed herself to, you know, think about that. I think she did think that she would maybe win, or you know, at least be in second place. Not, I think she uh, anticipated a valus first place on Tuesday, but I, th- I think she thought that she w- might be battling with him. Um, and it was really interesting to see her speak and to see, you know, a little bit of tears in her eyes and a little bit of emotion. Um, I think maybe she just didn't realize what we all realized that she didn't really have a chance. Well, right, maybe she didn't
2: have she... enough people around her who told her the truth. You Absolutely. know, a lot of politicians are want Yes. People around them to tell them mirror, mirror on the wall. Aren't we wonderful?
0: Well, some of her people have said that, that what, we're, what we are saying, this notion of her being stubborn and aggressive and, and bad to staffers, I've heard some people say that that had not happened to them. Um, but those are the stories that we have all heard. And yeah, absolutely. If you, if you want the truth, you need to hire people who will tell you the truth.
2: And you have to be willing to listen to the truth, even if it's what you do not want to hear. That is the mark of a strong leader. And I've seen so many politicians that I've covered over the years who do not have that ability. Dan, what were you going to say?
1: No, I was just going to say that she has an astonishing array of former allies. I mean, have you ever Mm -hmm. seen anybody in that position that had so many people who once supported her and now no longer support her? But she seems to have a great capacity to convince herself that a lot of those people are not right. You know that and, and I think that sincerely, she felt that she had a record that was not as bad as maybe we in the media or other critics were making it out to be that she felt that she had not done so poorly. Look, she didn't have top aides that got indicted like Rom and and daily. rich daily had um you know cps ceo go to jail for you know getting caught taking taking bribes um and and you know i won't go down the litany of the people who worked for rich Daly by the time he had been in truck city years.
2: hiring i mean uh, you name it his son uh, uh, you know on and on and on it was yeah. unbelievable everybody around him but him cuz he had well, but buffers but it's, it's
1: a tough job you know and i think She could have done better. Uh, Maybe a lot of other people could have done better, but it's still a tough job in her defense.
2: I wrote a post-election analysis about why Lori Lightfoot lost. Part of it, I acknowledge, was the bad hand she was dealt, the pandemic, civil unrest, the violent crime that followed the death of George Floyd, etc., etc., I also noted that Lightfoot's popularity soared during that time as she had, you know, really relished being the school mom telling everybody to stay home. I wrote that the bad hand argument does not explain the violent crime that is 40 percent higher than it was when she promised in her inaugural address to bring it down. It doesn't explain how she alienated lakefront voters who had been her base by failing to govern with transparency and failing to honor the promises she made, like to fight for an elected school board instead of having it foisted on her, to raise the real estate transfer tax on high end home sales, to devote a dedicated revenue stream to homelessness, to re-establish the Department of Environment, to run a transparent administration, to reopen the shuttered mental health clinics. And then, of course, it doesn't explain, as we've been talking, her inability to get along with just about everybody. What do you both think is the reason why Lori Lightfoot joins Jane Byrne as the first one-term mayor in 40 years? Dan? Dan?
1: Well, wow. um, the single biggest reason I think you just hit on it is, you know, inability uh, to get along with people. There was never any fight uh, that she would back down from. Right. And that could be good in some ways, uh, but it turned out to be really bad in ways where, you know, she acted as if she had the sort of total power, you know, that the Daily had or the near total power that Rom had when they had vast majorities of the city council on their side um and and really that the council never uh, defied them on any uh, major legislation ultimately they they won every legislative battle that they had she didn't have that kind of power but she whenever she would be criticized i think we would see her her fighting back in in ways that you know torched the bridges uh, there was no thought of like okay maybe i'll get back at these people and serve revenge cold later on or, you know, maybe like daily use person to... asks for something, I'll remind them that they weren't there for me. It's right. like, you know, let's let's, you know, uh, not hesitate from opening fire and let's, you know, uh, put everything uh, into that attack. Um, and, and you see that in those text messages, you see them in, um, in, in a lot of the conversations that she had, even on the floor of the city council, uh, with where she would get into open confrontations with people in the back of the room. Uh, that's pretty pretty unique, I think, among the mayors that we've covered. Right, although we can count them in our in our lifetime, at least in our careers, on one hand, um, I, I think it's it's a pretty rare characteristic for a freshman uh, person who had never been an elected official at any level, legislative or executive, uh, to come in. And, you know, you might think the city council members are not the most polished and articulate group, but they're street smart, you know, Mm -hmm. and once they were crossed. Uh, which, was,
2: and- which was immediate. I mean, Tina, let's think back to the inaugural address. She turns around and she exhorts and shames the alderman into joining her in a standing ovation for reform and joining the crowd. And then she rushes back to City Hall to undermine them by signing an executive order, stripping them of their aldermanic prerogative over licensing and permitting. I mean, the tone was set from day one. Uh, She is a fighter. She's she thinks she is running everything. She wasn't extending her hand. She had, you know, she had the hammer.
0: She wanted people to know that she was in charge on day one and that she didn't care if people were mad at her. But as we just saw, you should care when these people are mad at you, when these people are dropping like flies um, throughout the years. I do think from what uh, Dan both you and Fran and Danny both said uh, she was covered very aggressively, and this kind of reminds me of how we covered Bruce Rauner, so we kind of do this. I feel it's it's a great thing, you know, the way that reporters covered um, Lori Lightfoot in terms of, you know, constant FOIAs, her emails, looking into everything, but I feel like sometimes, uh, since we've had so many mayors with multiple terms, it's just kind of a different element, um, and like I said, we kind of did this with Bruce Rauner, where you, we would go to every single thing, we were on him, and you don't see the same thing in, in, in Governor Pritzker. Um, and so I do think that when you have a, you know, a reformer or someone who says they're coming in to make a big change, who is not really totally related to what we've seen before, that you see this kind of like aggressive coverage, which, as I said, was a great thing.
2: But I never believed and I don't believe now. And I actually consider it somewhat offensive for Lightfoot to say that because she is a woman. And because she's a black woman and a gay black woman, that somehow she was scrutinized more. Well, that's bal- right. that's baloney. Because you know what? She says that Daly and Rom were mean, but Daly, but but Rom cultivated his relationships with the alderman. He worked them. He got elected. And then he met with each of them. What do they want? They loved him at the end. Mm -hmm. He knew how to work a legislative body. He served in one in Congress. And so the idea that Rahm's FU personality was taken to the mayor's office, that's not true. He did it with his staff behind closed doors. He may have a a private conversation, but he would never have shamed an alderman on the floor of the council or come down from the rostrum and screamed at somebody like like, uh, Lightfoot did with Jeanette Taylor So I think it's it's wrong to say that there was sexism involved. I don't believe that I do either of you
0: to, I think that she like as we said she could have chosen to not run again and that would have been her writing her own story, her own narrative of her political career. She did not choose to do that she lost and so now she has to write her end of her political career. she has to write that narrative and she's chosen to go that route. And if you see where she's saying those things, a lot of it is you know national national papers. Um, So I think that she's probably, it's just trying to collect her image to people outside of the city.
2: Dan, do you think there was sexism involved or racism or any or both?
1: Look, as a white dude, um, I'm going (laughs) to leave that to other people uh, to talk about that. Um, You know, as as a a white uh, Greek American uh, male, um, you know, it's not for me to say, but I will say this. Look, when Ram was tough, you know, Time Magazine had him on the cover as Chicago Bull. Um, you know, would Lori have received the same sort of uh, treatment? Did she? No. You know, I will I will give her that. Um, you know, in, in person, is she really a, a rougher uh, individual than Rich Daly, uh, who both of us covered for many years, Fran, or, or, or Rahm Emanuel, whom we covered for the entirety of his time as mayor in his two terms? Um, is she is she really rougher? She probably does not believe that she is. I mean, she worked for Rich Daly. She worked with Rahm at the police. Well, let me remind you of
2: the him. of of the of the remarks she made to uh, in the Columbus statue episode, where she said, "My blank is bigger than your Italian blank." Yeah, now, what kind of a mayor said. of Chicago talks like that? And she argued that Rahm has said far worse. <laughs>
1: Well, you, you know, I think she's denied uh, uh, saying that, right? Well, I mean, maybe
2: that'll come out in court now. We'll see.
1: The yeah, contrast the people believe she could say it. Yeah, that's right. well,
2: decisions. that's right. That's right. So now we have a runoff between Paul Vallis, the candidate endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police, and Brandon Johnson the Cook County commissioner and paid organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union, whose campaign was bankrolled by a $1 million contribution from CTU and by the foot soldiers provided by this Teachers Union. The contrast could not be more stark. I'm not just talking about black and white, which is another issue, but the issues of policing and public education. Let's talk about how each of them got here and how they have to write their uh, story to get to the mayor's office. Dan, uh, let's start with Vallis. Did anything surprise you about how he got to this point? And what do you think he needs to do to get the extra 16% or so that he needs to win the mayor's office?
1: Well, everybody who saw this coming and says they saw it coming a few months ago is probably lying to you. I mean, the guy finished ninth four years ago running for mayor. Um, He hasn't changed significantly um since then but he the big change is he's got some supporters you know clearly that he didn't have then and you also have a lot of things that have happened in the city during the pandemic the unrest in 2020 and i think he's got a team there that was much more effective than teams that he's had in the past let's just say and of course the timing the crime right and that's what he's focused on and they've kept him focused we all know that he can meander and I should be the last one to say that, but I can't, you know, meander like Paul Vallis. Um, <laughs> you, you know, we've, we've known him since, at least in my case, since the 90s. Uh, keeping him focused was was not a small thing. Um, I mean, he knows a lot and he's been in a lot of different places and he wants to talk about all of that. And not everybody always wants to hear about that, but they do want to hear about what a mayor is going to do about crime. And that's in a lot of different communities.
2: Vallis is an interesting guy, Tina. He started as an aide to State Senator Don Clark Netch in Springfield. He worked for Phil Rock as Senate President down there. He joins the Daly administration as revenue director, then budget director, then the Dream Team partnership with Gary Chico at the Chicago Public Schools. He came within an eyelash of beating Rod Blagojevich for governor in 2002. He would have won that race. I know this. If only Rich Daly had blinked at him, no less endorsed him. He he runs for governor, a uh, lieutenant governor rather, uh, with Pat Quinn, and loses. And then for mayor in 2019, where he has this ninth place finish, and now he's at the doorstep to the mayor's office. What an interesting case of timing being everything.
0: Absolutely, and as Dan said, there have been some shifts in in his campaign and the way that he's run things, which I think have been evident. And I also think this time around, he's got the, the timing of. Uh, the you know police officers uh, supporting him. You need that in the city right now, and also the business community kind of rallying around him. And you can see that in the contributions that he's gotten. Um, and that is that fear that uh, Brandon Johnson as mayor will affect. You know there there will be business taxes and all these things driving businesses out. That's their biggest fear. Um, and so I think that combination of a different campaign staff. Um, the business community rallying around him and the police support are, are what's making this different.
2: Let's talk about Brandon Johnson. What a terrific communicator he is. He came out of nowhere with the help of CTU and SEIU and United Working Families and his own hard work. He punches his ticket to the runoff by winning nine progressive wards on the north and northwest sides and along the lakefront. He, he, he won the first, the 26th, the 33rd, 35th, 40, 46, 47, 48, and 49. Laurie Lightfoot wins the South and West Side. Brandon Johnson finishes a close second and a few. He he finishes a distant second and a whole bunch of others. He needs to get 80% or so of the African American vote. He needs to rally young voters who did not vote. How does he do this? Dan?
1: Well, you know, like you said, he has the gift of Gab, and I don't mean that as a backhanded compliment. He has that gift of uh, retail politics. Uh, He's a good speaker. And, uh, you know, Chicago Teachers Union has become steadily more involved and more active in elections over the past decade or so. You know, there were other unions that kind of led the way in increasing organized labor's political involvement or, or the rebirth of their political involvement in Chicago over the last 15 years. But CTU is Really, the more prominent one, um, I, I think they've got a ton of members, and they got to go door to door and convince other people to come out. Because when you say, you know, Valus needs twenty percent in the black community, or or, or Brandon Johnson needs eighty percent in the black community, you know, one thing we're we're not taking into account when we when we you have a percentage like that is turnout itself. Yes, you know, they're, which they're, was
2: lousy again, right. thirty-two percent.
1: Right. And there's no guarantee that whoever does turn out in the runoff is the same group of people that turned out the other day. I mean, they're going to be repeat people, a lot of repeat people, but there are going to be people that that turned out and don't vote the second time around or people that they need to focus on who did not turn out the first time and they hope will turn out the, the second time. But the calculus is very interesting. When you look at the map, you look at the areas that Mayor Lightfoot still won you look at the areas that Chewy Garcia won few areas that Willie Wilson won who among the two runoff candidates is best positioned um you know you would say Vallis in the Chewy areas because he finished second there um but but what's the turnout going to be there uh mm-hmm. again and then with with Brandon Johnson uh he was the second choice uh in some other areas um and um you know the real battlegrounds I think uh could be the lakefront uh, liberal areas like the 47th Ward that Johnson won, uh, which are areas uh, where people are maybe liberal-minded, progressive-minded, but now they're looking at crime and they're looking at schools and they're voting their pocketbooks. They're voting uh, their sense of personal safety, and that could, could favor Vallis.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Tina, in terms of Brandon Johnson and his chances and his path?
0: I think that uh as you've written in a couple of stories after the election day, I think, you know, it's an uh, I think Vallas has seems to have the edge right now and that Brandon will have to get those uh words that Lightfoot got and Willie Wilson and Chewy Garcia and everybody. And um, I did see yesterday that uh, Brandon was on MSNBC. So I feel like he's working as trying to be the progressive darling. He wants people to see. And as as Dan said, he's very, he's good on TV. He's, he's a good interview. He's smiley. He seems genuine. So he's trying to get that, you know, the people, the real person personality out there. And in more, maybe of a more of a grassroots way than Paul Ballas is doing, you know, Paul is doing formal press conferences, announcing endorsements, and Brandon seems to be doing, you know, a little bit more. He's doing his house parties. He said he'll be doing a lot of that. So I guess it'll be a matter of which method um, works to convince these voters to come out.
2: Brandon Johnson's victory speech was very strident. He tried to portray Paul Vallis as the Darth Vader of public education, Uh, I remember those days when Paul Vallis was the CEO at the schools, he was wildly popular in those days. As a matter of fact, Daly was so jealous of all the attention that the Paul and Gary show, Paul Vallis and Gary Chico got, that he fired them because he couldn't stand all the publicity they were getting. Paul used to walk down the street in, in, in black neighborhoods and kids would follow him like the Pied Piper, and yet they are portraying this. Johnson and Stacey Davis Gates are portraying that era very differently. They are trying to draw a line between the starving of the schools, as they put it, in those days under Vallis, and the closing of schools under Rahm
1: Emanuel.
2: Do you think that works, Dan?
1: Yeah, I think it could help. I mean, there's a couple ways that they're trying to portray Vallis. Um, you, you know, one is the education uh, issue as as being, like you said, the Darth Vader of education. And the other one we can get into later, if we have time, I think is, you know, that he doesn't reflect the the progressive values that usually um, candidates that are favored in, in Chicago will have is favored by a lot of far right wingers, um, as well as some of the other people that voted for him the other day. But on the issue of education, it depends how you view Really, the last nearly 30 years since Daly went to Springfield and was allowed to take over the schools and put um, Paul Vallis as the first in, in a series of CPS uh, CEOs that we've had. Um, you know, some people at that time thought that was great just because the schools before that, remember, were called the worst in the nation by the right US uh, Department uh, William Bennett. Sure. Now you look at this experiment in mayoral control. Are the schools really that much better? Are the people that we're talking about as these swing voters on the lakefront sending their kids to CPS? Well, maybe no. if they get into a certain selective enrollment yeah. school, or you know, there's maybe 10 to 20 schools out of several hundred that they would send their kids to. So now you look at that situation, and you've had as well uh, scandals, two CPS CEOs in a row uh, under Ram, who went down in flames. One went to prison, and one also was forced out um, after, you know, some stories that we did in the Sun-Times and the inspector general's investigation. Have they really, and they've opened up a bunch of charter schools. We don't have any great proof that on a whole they're better than the traditional schools. And specific. they're hemorrhaging and Vallis, enrollment. Yeah, Paul Vallis is very much on that that side of the ledger. You know, you look at some of the people that are supporting him, and it is the like Forrest Claypool who I was referring to before, one of the other CPS CEOs gave him a contribution. Um, Juan Ron Hell, who was ousted uh, in a in a corruption scandal at um at Uno, one of the biggest charter school networks. They're all for Vallis, you know, and that's what what Brandon is going to try to key on.
2: Right. And then we have the issue, Tina, of public safety. You've got uh Paul Vallis, the strict law and order message, gonna f- fill those 1,700 vacancies, going to unhandcuff the police so they can do their jobs and relax some of these foot and vehicular pursuit restrictions. And Brandon Johnson doesn't say the word defund anymore, but he won't commit to fully funding the $1.94 billion police department budget or filling the 1,700 vacancies. In fact, he wants to cut at least $150 million from the police department budget by reducing the ratio of supervisors to rank and file. The core of his anti-violence strategy is this billion-dollar tax-the-rich plan to invest in an array of social programs. Which one of these plans is going to fly with the majority of voters?
0: I think if he loses this race, it will be because he does not properly define his public safety plan, because that is clearly what the number one issue was on Tuesday. And as we've seen in his coverage or in, in just seeing the press conferences and things that he said, it's it's pretty vague. It's it's a huge plan. I think Paul Vallis is is pretty direct about what he wants to do. Um, I think so. I think Brandon has to go out there um, and talk more about you know, comparing those plans and trying to show why his is better. Or I think I think he's in trouble with that.
2: And the tax plan keeps changing, too. Right. For example, he had a metro tax in there for commuters and then suddenly that's gone. Uh United Working Families proposed a city income tax and, you know, United Working Families is for Brandon, but it's not in Brandon's plan. But he has a ton of taxes, a head tax again, the head tax that... It took Chicago decades to get rid of, and the the business community can't stand a hotel tax increase, a hotel tax that's already the highest in the nation. I mean, all these taxes, is that going to fly with people at a time when they're strangled by property taxes?
0: And that's what and, Paul is ta- Paul is talking about that the day after the election under a tr- an L track, exactly what you're saying. He, he taxes, taxes, taxes. That's what he that's what his message is
2: right now about Brandon Johnson. And Dan, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be a a huge issue. Uh, We talk about business community having helped Vallis in the first round, having helped him uh, become uh, one of, if not the best funded candidate. I don't know if I've seen all the receipts yet, but uh, definitely had a a much bigger budget than he had when he he failed. uh, He'll have more. He's going to well, have that. That's the thing. The potential, you, you know, you talk about money supporting Vallis in the first round. There was Only a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. Absolutely. Though. Absolutely. I mean, you, we are in a city where Ram raised what well, you might have the number off the 22, of 22,
2: 22 million to get reelected.
1: Right. right. So there was money that that was sitting on the sidelines that I think is going to come in. And one thing that was unsurprising, and maybe that's why it didn't get covered that much. Uh, yesterday, Vallis wrote hundred thousand dollar uh plus check to his to own himself campaign. And, to
2: lift the caps, sure
1: right to lift the caps and we know that paul Vallis is not um you know a wealthy. billionaire no. we've seen his tax returns he's not personally wealthy um but um it clears the way for people who are very wealthy look at the biggest players in previous races for republicans and democrats in illinois they sat on the
2: sidelines they were afraid of a vindictive mayor this time they're gonna come off their wallets and give to
1: valis it looks like doesn't it i think that's what that move uh paved the way for uh literally opened the door uh to that happening how much it will happen you know is ken griffin uh gonna come back from florida and and fund him the way he did with with Rahm and Rauner, I I don't know, but or or Uline, who's the biggest Republican donor in the country is from the Northern suburbs. Um, I I don't know if that would help him or hurt him, but there are other less politically combustible, very deep pocketed people uh, who are going to take their checkbooks out for Paul Vallis, I have no doubt.
2: Yeah, Tina, I've heard that uh, people advise Paul Vallis to let the independent expenditure committees, the PACs that are free to do this and not coordinate with the campaigns, let them do a number on Johnson and go negative while Paul stays on his law and order message. Do you think that's what he'll do?
0: I think that's very possible. And I think if you see Brandon in person, he's doing kind of doing a similar thing where I'm sure his ads will probably go negative, but in person, he's not really as as direct, I think. I think that's the plot. I think that's what works on TV. That's what we saw during this election cycle. Um, I also think how funny would it have been if not funny, but it would have changed the dynamics of the race if Pritzker had entered this race. And from what I'm hearing, I don't I don't think he's going to. But like this is, this is not a lot of money so far. Um, if, if he had thrown in any support and, or millions to a candidate, he probably could have directed this race.
2: Do either of you think that Lightfoot could have saved herself politically by firing David Brown, who resigned this week?
1: I don't think it's a high profile enough issue to to the average voter. I mean, I think crime is a huge issue and and look, uh, I don't want to um talk about the political ramifications of this, but certainly people are reminded of the difficult job uh, facing um, police officers when you have uh, someone like uh, the young Andres uh, Vasquez Lasso, who gave his life a couple of days ago uh, in the line of duty uh, with a young wife and a young child. Um, and, you know, but do I think that that there was anything that Lightfoot could have done like that that would have been um, convinced people that she could keep them uh, safer than she has in the last four years? No, no, I don't think so.
0: I think everything kind of accumulated um, throughout the pandemic and responses to different things, to the bridges going up to George Floyd. I think things. the were two different. rounds
2: of looting were, I mean, the second round was just and devastating.
0: Going down Michigan Avenue in 2020 with businesses, with the everywhere. I had a doctor's appointment over there and the doctor seemed scared to be there. So that all of that was accumulating. So it, it, I guess it could have been a timing thing if maybe she had done it earlier in her term. Maybe it would have helped her to get rid of him but i'm not sure how much it would have helped in total
2: so as we close i'm going to put you both on the spot here dan who wins this race <laughs>
1: um yeah, and I think by
2: how much how about that
1: um <laughs> i don't think it's going to be a landslide like it was four years ago for either candidate um i, I think it, it, it you know when you look at the breakdown there uh it could be relatively close um but but I think if if Vallis has the money that I think he's going to get, whether it's directly to him or these independent expenditures, you know, trying to define uh, Brandon Johnson, I think he would be really, really tough to beat, um, but uh, not impossible to beat.
2: So you believe it'll be Vallas?
1: I think I think it's shading in his favor right now but not overwhelmingly so. And Tina?
2: I do think
0: ballast, but pretty like just maybe under 10 for sure. But if Brandon chooses to do kind of a more in the middle kind of message, which I don't think he's
2: going to do, I think that would help him. Um, I think it could be even closer. Okay. All right. And you're not putting me on this. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I I think I think, of course, the favorite is Vallis, but you know, Brandon Johnson is tremendously talented, and you can't undersell the shiny new penny syndrome, which is that he is the story now. He is the darling of the media, just as Lori Life, it was four years ago, the bright new shiny thing. Will people take another chance on someone unknown? Or will they go with someone they have seen perform before in these high-level positions? We shall see. Thank you both so much for joining us. And uh, get some rest because it's going to be a sprint to the finish. And we will see you all next week.
0: Thanks, Brent. Thanks.